You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Gracious Father, um, thank you for this day and for your mercy renewed each morning um, for our church, um, uh, most especially for your word and your son. Um, uh, be with us now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Brandon. Um, well, good morning. Um, kind of a loose class that we have um, uh, part one of this morning and part two. Not at all specifically designed for this, but I have the privilege of going to Israel for a second time in like six months. Um, and on June 6th, some of us went in February. Uh, in some ways, loosely, this class selfishly was um, to, to, to give me the opportunity, to force the opportunity to engage the text of the places that we saw um, when we were touring the land uh, where the Bible was. And so even there, I'll stop short. The Holy Land, right? Um, The Holy Land. Um, I typically don't call it the Holy Land because now that the resurrection is a brief, you know, we got got time, um, a brief excursus uh, with the resurrection of Christ, with the resurrection of God in Christ as the temple was torn from top to bottom, uh, God is now loose, and Alabama, uh, New Jersey, Texas, we're going to be talking about that, Israel, Australia, um, uh, the heights of, of heaven or the depths of Sheol, all are equally holy and equally profane, you might say. Um, and so for, for, um, uh, for the sake of shorthand, it's, just, it's perfectly fine to call it the Holy Land, the place where the patriarchs uh, and, uh, and, the, and the monarchs, um, uh, Saul and, and, and David and, and, uh, and Solomon walked, um, where our Lord, most especially, uh, came into the world, lived and breathed and died and was, uh, was resurrected, um, the place where um, the apostles went out into the ends of the earth. Um, all of that happened in this tiny area. We'll look at some maps here in just a minute. Um, Israel, as we call it now, is roughly the size of New Jersey. It's crazy. Just this morning I was going through and thinking, how far is Jerusalem from Tel Aviv, um, which is the city now. It wasn't there then. Uh, Joppa is probably the closest port at that time. That's where Jonah left, for instance. Um, It's like, I think I will look in a minute, I can't remember, 70 miles or something like that. Um, It's just nothing. It's not even from here to Montgomery. Um, uh, it's crazy how small and dense everything is. So this is the reason for the class, um, was for me just to really kind of engage some of those texts um, to find out uh, sort of in my own heart and head and just kind of put myself in front of those. Um, but within that, I wanted to find a thread. Talking to Leslie earlier this week, she helped me, she always does. Um, uh, think about a thread. What's going to tie this together and not just be... Um, you know, a travel itinerary for a lot of people that aren't, aren't going. Um, uh, and so you can think about God's big picture. It's a great book. We have it in the bookstore. A man named Vaughn Roberts, an Englishman, um, Church of England uh, uh, minister. Uh, God's big picture. Um, and that's subtitled it, God's work on God's people. Um, God is the actor. Love comes down. Christmas, Easter, New Year's, May 15th. Love comes direction is one direction, God comes to us, his work on his people done in his way. Um, 
that's the thread. There's all sorts of threads you can follow in the scripture. Um, I'm going to land on a couple and kind of, you know, fight for them a little bit, I guess you'd say. Not really, but, but we could. Um, you could trace God's covenants. Um, a lot of people do that very fruitfully. Covenant theology, as it's called, and the covenants of God that move through, whether it's the covenant of Noah, through the covenant of Abraham, um, to the covenant uh, uh, given through Moses, which is, of course, the, the big one. Um, we can see that mountain, by the way, when we're up in the north of Israel. Um, the covenant, then, that's given uh, in Christ, um, and in the new covenant, uh, that, that covenant, the covenant given in Christ, and the final covenant, which will come to bring on the, uh, the new heavens and the new earth. And I think that's good. To my own ear, it's not enough. That's my little place. Um, it doesn't. It, it finds too much continuity in the scripture. This is a little bit of an excursus again, but you got me going. Um, uh, too much continuity, and it underappreciates the radical break when Christ, when God breaks into the world in Christ, and the Holy Spirit um, uh, manifests Him and rests upon Him in the baptism. And, and works to vivify him again, to bring him back to life in the tomb. We talked about this two weeks ago. If you were there in the tomb on Easter morning, just moments before the stone was, you would hear, <gasps> and you would hear air return to a dead man's lungs. And that has to be appreciated in whatever the big picture of God is as he reveals in the scriptures. Not to say that the covenants don't do that, but something a little bit more stark, um, like law and gospel, or this is what I want to sort of follow, the different ways God works his power to, uh, uh, to, to bring his purposes into the world. And so you have sort of the bookends. You've got Genesis 1 and 2, and you have Revelation 21 and 22, and then all the intervening pages. And so here's God's big picture. God brought the world into being in the first two chapters, and he's going to bring the new world, the new heavens and the new earth into being in the last chapters. And it's a reasonable question to say, what power does God use to bring that forth? Um, uh, that's the word I want to sort of chase. And, you know, not a surprise for those who know me, Lutherism used here, um, uh, where he had this, this great way. He, he was not consistent in the way he used these, this language, um, but for, for, for our sake, I'm just going to take a little bit of what Luther said and expand it for our own purposes. God's right-handed power and God's left-handed power. That's what I want to sort of talk about in the next two weeks. God's big picture is he works his work on God's people in this world. And for those of us who went to Israel, those of us who are going to Israel, um, or whenever we go anywhere together, um, thinking about how does God do what he wants to do when he's doing the thing he most wants to do in my life? A funny way to say it, right? How does God do what he wants to do when he is doing, active, the very thing he most wants to do in my life. So now we go down, what does he most want to do? Well, God does not desire the death even of a sinner. God wants um, all to come to him. Um, uh, and, and, and our Lord said, you know, there's no one that the, Lord, that, that, that the Father has given me um, that I've lost. So when God is doing that work, how is he doing that thing which he wants to do and when he's most doing, when he's doing the thing he wants to do the most? da 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 So all those different ways to say that. Um, God's right-handed power and God's left-handed power. Um, right hand. Um, this is a, the bias. 
pardon me if you're left-handed, um, the bias towards most people doing right-handed work, when you pick up something, when you want to use your strong hand, it's your right hand. That's the idea. Um, so direct line, straight line power, um, direct power, cause and effect. This is in the realm of law, even, say, the law of gravity, that when I take this and I drop it, it's going to fall. And that power, I know, what, what's it called? Going back to eighth grade here, potential power, where it, you know, you put something there and it's, it's, has, it's imbued with power, all has to be is released, and the power is going to go. Gravity. Um, straight line, direct power. Um, uh, you know, you did wrong, consequences follow, you die. You know, that kind of power. Um, uh, God not being one to trifle with. Um, Uzzah. Just what a story. There, the ark is coming back into Jerusalem. Somewhere in 1 Samuel, like 14, I think it is. Uh, uh, they're parading. The ark has been found. It's been returned. Um, it was never lost. It was returned. It's coming back into the city of David. Um, David's out in front. Uh, oxen are pulling the, the, the ark of God with the Ten Commandments and some manna and other holy relics uh, from, uh, from Israel's time. Wandering in the wilderness, and the Lord delivered him. And they put that in the ark. This is Raiders of the Lost Ark stuff. If you need your 80s reference. Um, and the oxen slip, and Uzzah reaches up, and he touches the, the ark to, um, to steady it. Remember what happened to him? Just like that. Drop dead. Straight line power. You know, God's right hand completely just undoes. So that's the right hand of God. Um, the law. Um, the law says, um, do this, and if you don't, here's your consequences. Uh, versus the left hand of God. Um, gospel, you know, for those of you who are following at home. Working against the opposite. The theology of the cross is another way we call this sometimes. Because um, it's most seen in the, the ridiculous, almost the scandalous, the hilarious. Um, these are words that it's sometimes used to say. Where God would say, I am going to perfect my glory and my strength as the creator of all, as the Lord of hosts of heaven, um, as, a, as the King of kings and as the Lord of lords. I'm going to manifest that power most fully to the world. How? By coming as a baby, <laughs> by dying, by perfecting and glorifying my strength through weakness, by giving life through death, by being most present when I seem most absent. You know, those kind of paradoxes. So anywhere you're tapping the paradox of, uh, of when God is silent and you think, okay, I'm trusting that he's here, you're there in the left hand of God. Um, when you're standing in the holy sepulcher and you're thinking, like, this is just like this museum and it doesn't feel holy to me at all. Um, and it's just a bunch of these Christians who are fighting each other. And it's just dark and dank. And I was expecting something that would move my, my affect as I'm standing in the place where the Lord was, was risen. The left hand of God, where God works in the trash rather than in, um, uh, gosh, what's the opposite of trash? Um, in the shiny, spit-polished, um, uh, expensive places. Um, God finds himself working through a teenage girl who was a virgin from a nowheresville in a backwater um, at a nothing time, rather than coming to the to the to the pinnacle of creation in a uh, 
in the stateroom or in a palace or something else like that. So the left hand of God versus the right hand of God. Right-handed power versus left-handed power. Because right-handed power is there in the Scripture. But really since the flood, which was definitely a right hand of God, you know, I'm going to sort of release the cork and water is going to come up from below and release the cork and water is going to come down from above. And I'm going to just wash everything out. You know, this cesspool needs to be cleaned. His creation. Um, he hasn't done that since then. In fact, he took a bow, um, as in like an archer's bow, and he placed it in the heavens and he pointed it himself. That's one way to read that. Um, there's not a word for rainbow per se. It's just a bow, like a hunter's bow. And he said, now I'm not pointing the bow down anymore. There's no threat. There's no threat. Um, as Robert Capon called it, it's a covenant of non-intervention. I am not going to do that anymore. I'm not going to point the instrument of death at my people anymore. Where does he point it? At himself. Um, it's going up. Uh, and from that point forward, when he used right-handed power, and we'll look at some of these, like, you know, we'll be standing on the... Uh, on Mount Carmel, for instance, um, we'll read that passage earlier. It's the first one I think it's in your handout, um, where Baal, uh, where where the prophet Elisha fights the, uh, the the 450 feet priest of of Baal, one of the one of the Canaanite gods. Uh, he he reveals himself in right-handed power. He just doesn't do it to quote fix anything. It's to show himself and his power. Um, and so that's kind of what we're going to chase a little bit as a as a thread or as a theme. Um, seen ultimately in the cross, absolutely, fully, holy, one stop, but chasing the discontinuity, the way that things work starkly sometimes, um, and not trying to find a unity, as it were, in the Bible, but a place where, you know, here's one word, the word of law, and here's another word, his word of grace. Um, those two things are always working in concert, but it's not a mixed drink. So the old phrase, always distinguished, but they're never separated. Um, they, 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 they find their, their, the law brings us to Christ. So thoughts there? That's kind of the preface. Um, and then we'll sort of do a quick soiree through three or four scriptural passages just to see where this goes. I'm sorry it's so warm. If we want to, we could open the door and see if there's a little bit of air that comes through. Are you all warm? Or is it just me because I'm up here talking and prattling? So, yeah. First of all, let's do some things. Um, this is Israel. This is, if you ever want to go or you're interested or whatever else, because this is going to be part of it. I mean, here's Israel. This is the Mediterranean Sea. Um, the green is the state of New Jersey. For some reason, whenever I've been reading about Israel, and I've been reading about it a lot in the last six months, um, it's always compared to the, to the size of New Jersey, I think because in terms of total square miles and all that stuff, they're really, really similar. So being from Texas, I always think it's fun. Texans love to do this, <laughs> except for, um, except for uh, Alaska, of course, but that's okay. So, um, but we do. We love to do this. How big is Texas compared to... Da, 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 and, and I did some Googling. It's all over the place on Google, of course. I mean, so 131st the size of Texas. So conveniently between Bastrop and Austin is Israel. You know, it's just like a bike ride. It's fun. So... Um, uh, this, you know, different ways to sort of do this. And I like this. And we're going to come back to this one. Um, uh, because although it's so small, um, it's so vast. I mean, I had no idea before I went. I just didn't appreciate how, how different everything was. And so, um, what do I want to do? Uh, well, it's just, you've got the coast, the coastal plain. So that's obviously sea level. Most, most coasts are. Um, 
uh, the coastal plain, and you can see it goes up to the central highlands, as they call it, and then some large mountains to the south. This is the Judean wilderness, where the Spirit drove Christ out into the wilderness. Down here, this is the desert, um, very little water. This is where the patriarchs, going down here to the, Mount, uh, to the Sinai Peninsula, that's where they wandered for 40 years. Um, uh, that's in the south. We don't really go there very much. There's not a whole lot there, partly because of the Palestinian conflict, and, and Gaza's down, <coughs> down there and some other things which make it difficult to travel. But it's also, it's just rough, rough, rough country. Um, up here in the north, at least in February, and still in, in, in June, there's a lot of water. Um, it's lush, it's green, it's really high. There are mountains. And coming from Texas again, I thought, oh, it's kind of like mountains in Texas. It's a hill. <coughs> no, they're real mountains. Um, Mount Hebron up here uh, is like 9,300 feet. Snow was on top. Um, and it's often up there all the time, by far the biggest mountain in Israel. But that's way up in the north, and you would find this to be, the scripture would call it, um, uh, the northernmost reach of, uh, of, 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 uh, of, of, of the promised land. There'd be a phrase that would often be from Beersheba to Dan, and that would just be saying everything in between belongs to God. And so that was a common refrain. So you have just the geography in the size of New Jersey. You've got these vast shifts from uh, sea level, the coastal plain, going up to some mountains with some significant valleys, the Valley of Jezreel, we'll talk about that. And this is the Sea of Galilee, which is a freshwater sea, it's a lake. Lake Gennesareth, Sea of Galilee, the Sea of Kinnereth, um, which means harp, it's roughly the shape of a harp. Um, all these are different languages that the Bible uses. Sea of Galilee, which flows, the Jordan River comes in right up here, it flows down here, which is of course where Joshua crossed the Jordan down here by Jericho, um, uh, where Jesus was baptized, probably right here as well. Um, uh, uh, Jordan River flows into the Dead Sea, which is the, 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 the bottom of the earth. It's the, it's the, the basin of, of, of the earth's tub, the lowest point in the world, negative 1,300 feet, I think it is. Um, all of the Jordan River Valley, even the Sea of Galilee, is below sea level. It's like 680 feet below sea level. Um, I think my next slide has some of those. Yeah, here's some some elevations just to kind of give you a sense. Here's a different way. So that's why I like that cartoon because it has a little bit different feel of what you're looking at. Um, but here, uh, let's see if I can get some place. Like here's Tel Aviv, and so this is where you fly into. That's the only airport. Tel Aviv wasn't around when um, the Bible was around. But Joppa, which is like the port where Jonah left, probably the first time we hear it. Um, that's basically Tel Aviv now. Uh, so you fly into here. Um, and then we'll, uh, here's the Sea of Galilee, and this whole rift is well below sea level. It just goes down, 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 down. Negative, so you can see the elevations. Um, negative 696 feet, the Sea of Galilee. Jericho, also the oldest city in the world, which is really cool. We got to go there. I mean, it's just been around for like 6,000 years, which is just crazy. It's just that old. Um, and then down into the Dead Sea, 1,400 feet below sea level. Um, you'll see quickly, I mean, it doesn't take any time at all to realize that when people are talking about going up to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, up to Jerusalem, the Psalms of Ascent, because you're ascending into Jerusalem, it's because Jesus would walk, when we hear over and over again, that because he lived up here in Capernaum, that's kind of Jesus's hometown, um, and he would come down here and he would follow along the Jordan Rift Valley, just kind of walk this way, about three days walk distance between Jerusalem and Capernaum, 78 miles. So again, good long hard bike ride. Um, uh, just walk down here, 
go into, where's Jericho? Um, Jericho, and then walk up to Jerusalem, because Jericho is 847 feet below sea level, and then Jerusalem is 2,400 feet above sea level. So it's a good 3,300 feet elevation gain. It's massive. If you went to Suwannee, you know, top of the mountain, it's about 1,000 feet above the, uh, uh, the valley. Um, so everything is down and up. I mean, it's just massive elevation gains with these long valleys and all that sort of thing in between. So any comments there? Any thoughts? I mean, just kind of maps. Some people hate maps. Some people love them. Um, so if you're a person that likes maps and you want to say something, now's your chance. Absolutely. Dead Sea, um, because it's so, partly because of the minerals that are around there, but everything goes in and nothing comes out. And over the millennia, it's just got this tense salinity, a high saline content. Um, uh, I think it's like 30% like bitbutin and, and salt and some other things, also called the salt sea in the Bible. Uh, you don't eat it, but you can taste it. It, is, it stays in your mouth for about three days. Um, uh, and you cannot not float. I mean, Frank was... Wait, did you swim? Okay. Um, some, some of us swam. Uh, it's crazy. You, you, they like tell you how to get in there. You're supposed to walk backwards because if you do this and fall forward, you don't want to have that water forced into your lungs, for, not only for the taste, but the saline would you know, have a bad effect or osmosis happens and yeah it's not good so you don't swim in it you just get in there and i can't float in regular water uh you can't not not float i mean you get in there and you're just like uh uh and you just basically like whoop and you're just like oh my gosh you know i'm like a bobber um it's crazy and so for like the first five minutes we're like this is so crazy this is so crazy this is so crazy it's a lot of fun it's a lot of fun um uh you it's just it's crazy you can't not not do that and of course nothing lives except really really small Organisms and all that stuff. So it's kind of fun to look at the porpoise over there. Ha ha ha! Just kidding. So, yeah, Charlie. So, how much air, you know, you hear about arable land in Israel, and it's just kind of a strip along the coast there, right? From the mountain range of westward. Yep. Did you see, were you here when you looked at yeah. Texas? Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's very small. I mean, it's it's tiny. I mean, it's the size of New Jersey. Um, hour drive from the coast all the way, maybe an hour and a half. From east to west, um, I think it's—I forgot what the, the the width and the and the length is. Um, it, it's not far. Um, longer because there's no right angles and you got to go around mountains and that kind of thing. Um, but as the crow flies, it's uh, it's not a significant landmass. Um, the density of history and the density of of, uh, of God's work on God's people, right hand, left hand, phenomenal. Um, and this is where it all happened. Um, I can't remember what my other slides were. Um, uh, now nah, we can look at that later. Um, why don't we do this? Um, let's dive in and engage a couple of instances where God is showing his left hand and his right hand. Um, uh, we, let me put one up. Um, this is the only picture I have from our group. Luke 4. Um, after Jesus is baptized, he um, goes to Nazareth, where he's born, um, fulfilling the prophecy. Um, he shall come out of Nazareth. Uh, Nazareth now is a pretty big city. After 1950, um, I asked that, because now it's, it's just got lots of layers and everything uh, uh, of houses all along the hillsides. In Jesus' day, it was, it was just a couple hundred people. I mean, it was just kind of hidden in, uh, uh, between a couple of, 
of, uh, of mountain ranges and was really just not, not very big, um, tiny. Jesus goes back to his hometown right after he's baptized and he preaches his first sermon. Um, um, it's a great passage and put it in front of us right, right at the beginning of Luke 4. Uh, most of us will remember it. Um, he goes into the synagogue to teach and he takes the scroll and he opens it and he reads from Isaiah 61. Um, now, from memory, it's the, the parts that say, uh, the, the, the blind shall see, um, the lame shall walk, uh, those who go without shall now have. Um, and then he sits down, and with his pregnant pause, he says, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Um, and they all start to grumble. Wait, wait, we grew up with this kid. Who is this guy? Um, you know, he's 30, 31, 32, something like that. Um, isn't this Joseph's son, the carpenter? He's just, you know, just that guy. And now he's, he's coming along saying, this, this is, has, uh, has today been fulfilled in your hearing. And it sort of grows and grumbles, and, and the grumbling becomes worse. And they pick him up, and they want to drive him up. And one thing impressed me, we were walking up. It's not a long walk, but it, took, it would take sustained energy and animosity it did take sustained energy and animosity to take jesus from the synagogue in nazareth and to go up to what's now is called the mount of precipice which is just an overlook on the mountains which uh which are just outside of nazareth or which nazareth is nestled in um and this is where they took him out and they wanted to throw him over the cliff they wanted to kill him um uh and this kind of Jedi move, which is just one of the, there's three or four places that are just kind of understated in the New Testament, in in the Gospels, and this is one of them. And then Jesus slipped amongst their midst and went on his way or something like that. Like, what was that all about? (laughs) Um, This is where they wanted to push him off um, uh, to kill him because he blasphemed, because he is making this outlandish claim. Today, this scripture, Isaiah, 1,500 years old, is fulfilled in your hearing. Um, they weren't wrong, and they wanted right-handed power. You know, the law was clear. If you put yourself in the place of God, if you blaspheme, you shall die. Um, and that's what they want to do. But he had nothing of it. His hour had not yet come, uh, and so he slipped out. But we get to go there, to the Mount of Precipice, where they were going to push him off, and it's a great view. I mean, it is one of the, it's the first day, one of the best days here. So quickly, this is, um, a lot's happened here. This is called the... Um, the Valley of Jezreel, um, or Valley of Megiddo. Um, uh, this is Mount Tabor over here. This is where in Judges, uh, Deborah and Barak. Uh, uh, Barak was the general, and the, the, is it the Midianites, I think. The Midianites were coming, and the Lord delivered them by bringing the chariots through the valley, breadbasket of, of Israel, and he caused a rain to come, and so all the chariots got stuck. Um, and then uh, Deborah and Barak... Um, went and routed the Midianites uh, and the Midianite king do I have it there? What's his name? Uh, J.L. killed him. Um, can't remember. The Midianite king, what's his name? Sisera. Sisera. Yep, thank you. Um, Sisera, he escapes and he goes up uh, uh, and, and says, take me into your house to a woman named J.L. And J.L. says, sure, come on in. Um, he says, give me some water. He's like, how about some milk? And, oh, this girl's great, you know. Lies down in her lap, and she's stroking her head and all that stuff. Takes a tent peg and just puts him all the way into the ground. And Deborah and Brock come out. I was like, I've got him. He's in there. And they're going, oh, my gosh, his head's neck. Tent, tent, it's gross, and it's just awful. Um, 
What's that? There's going to be a lot of those. <laughs> so, I'm sorry. Um, right-handed power. Um, all of that happens here on Mount Tabor and around the Valley of Jezreel, which is also the, the Valley of Megiddo. Megiddo is somewhere right in here, I think. This is also a great story. It's in here. I don't know if we'll get there. Um, where Gideon was. I mean, this is just what happens. There's just so much that happens when you're looking out. This is where this happened in the patriarch period. And when this happened in the, king, in the judges and the kings and in Jesus and in Paul. You know, everything is just overlapped. Um, this is where Gideon took 32,000 people. And God said, you know, that's too many. Um, even though you're fighting 135,000 people, um, if you beat them with 32,000, you might think you had something to do with it. And so God tells Gideon, uh, we need to reduce your fighting force. Um, tell anybody who's afraid they can go home. Gideon's like, that's serious? And he's like, yeah, do that. So 22,000 of the 32,000 leave because they had fear. Then um, God says, still too many. 10,000 versus 135. You might still think that this is, uh, is going to be at your strength and not my own. Um, and this all happened right here. Um, uh, and so Gideon says, what do you want me to do? He's like, take them over to, uh, to let them drink. And then um, I want you to do what I tell you to do. Um, if I say, put these over here and they'll fight and put these over here and they can go home. And Gideon's like, okay. And this is just crazy. This is total left hand of God, left-handed power. Um, the hilarity of God's left hand is in this part. He says, watch how they drink. Anybody that goes down and just puts their mouth into the water, I want you to let them go home. But if they take it up and they lap out of their hand like a dog, those are the people I want. And so he did that. How many people out of, out of the 10,000 did that? 300. Who does that? Who goes and says, mm. <laughs> Nobody. Nobody. That's crazy. That's not like, and, and you read some commentaries and they're like, no, no, these are like, the elite fighting forces. This is SEAL Team 6 because they're looking and you want people that are always, you know, sort of alert. I was like, that is an overreach. God is just doing something hilarious and ridiculous. Taking a bunch of Woody Allens and says, this is how my power is going to be made manifest. And that 300 then take clay pots and trumpets and inside the clay pots they put candles, torches, and, uh, and they divide up into three groups of a hundred. Um, and then uh, at Gideon's command, they break the clay pot and they blow their trumpet. Uh, and so they, there's all this noise and there's this crazy sort of like just candles, you know. And this drives everybody crazy. And so they turn their, ah, for the sword and Gideon. And, they're, and, the, and the Midianites all turn around and, and start killing each other. And they're all routed. And that's how the Lord showed his power. With a bunch of people, as Chad Bird said, and he was there. It's just a bunch of, what did he say, Frank? Um, it's like a bunch of kids who were going from band practice to pottery. And that's how the Lord delivered Israel. Isn't that crazy? With trumpets and clay pots. The left hand of God. God's sense of humor. It's hilarious. Except it's also, I can't help but say, 135,000 people turned on themselves and died. I mean, it's, and that's also in there. The right hand of God, the power of God, the extraction of anything which divides God from himself. Um, all that is densely just laid upon it. Um, so 
that's what we're looking at. Lots of other things, too. We'll get to, um, uh, to Megiddo also being the place with a great battle. We'll look at that before we leave. Armageddon is where this is supposed to happen. Um, Megiddo is the place where we get Armageddon. Armageddon at the, uh, the hill of Megiddo um, is where the great battle before Christ reveals himself once, finally, and for all. Where it's total right hand. Every knee will bow. Every tongue confess. Jesus Christ is Lord. The rider on the white horse, there is no ambiguity. You don't have to worry about, you know, what if God becomes one of us? Am I going to recognize him? You'll know. You know, it is plain that we will all know. Um, so that's some of what we're looking at. But let's, um, let's look at 1 Kings, and then we might look at uh, uh, Blind Bartimaeus, and then we'll end in that. So, um, so this is Elijah, um, one of the great prophets of Israel, um, Elijah and Elisha. Um, at the Mount of Transfiguration, probably didn't happen here, Mount Tabor, um, but it's one of the traditional sites for it. Maybe it was up in Mount Mount Hermon, the one that was 9,000 feet up, um, which is the snow cover. We really don't know. Um, uh, but standing there, I thought about it, and it's just kind of cool. It's like, that's it. You know, what if that's where the Lord was transfigured in a right-handed power sort of way, and it became dazzling white? Um, yeah, Frank. Um, very close. I mean, somewhere in New Jersey, it's right here. You know, I mean, it's right here. You know, we're not that far. Um, so uh, that's part of the game. And I got, I have to, this is my own personality, kind of get out of that. It's like, what, was he right here? It's like, you know, stop, Gil. It, it's enough. It's enough. Um, uh, it's, it's, it could have been, it could have been Tabor. It could have been right there. Um, it's kind of easy. Yep. I did a trip down here with my dad in 10th grade, this similar trip. And that is easy to start to do because there are places like in Bethlehem where there's literally like shrines made. It's like, this is the spot. Yep. And you kind of have to step away a little and be like, it's near here. Yep. It could be, but yep. it's not all about making that an idol. Yep. Great word. Not an idol to itself. Um, my Protestant leanings come out um, <laughs> where it's not to go and, but I, and moved. Because you would go there, thank you, Rachel, just what you're saying, like it, say the, the church of the nativity where Christ was born or the church of the sepulcher where, where he was killed or he was deposed, taken down from the cross, placed in the tomb, and resurrected. And all of that is now under one building. Um, was it there? I don't know. Probably, maybe, possibly. Um, if it was this stone, which a lot of people believe it was, there were people weeping, kissing it, crying, wanting to touch it, imbued with power. And that's part of what I mentioned, my Protestant side. God is loose. Aslan is on the move. He's no longer confined to uh, this geography. Um, he was there for 33 years. Um, and now the, 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 the curtain is torn. You know, that simple, weighty fact was pressed on me every day, is pressed on us every day that we're there. That it's the Holy Land, sure, shorthand, but also my home, my office, um, uh, the, the, the stranger on the street, the Good Samaritan on the road between Jericho and Jerusalem, 40 miles, 3,500 feet, um, uh, where that parable was, was placed. Um, Loose. He's now everywhere. So, so listen. Right hand of God. Elijah confronts the prophets of Baal. Um, Baal, a Canaanite god, um, kind of a morph. Uh, one thing also helpful to know: um, all these Canaanite gods. One reason when Yahweh, when when Shaddai, when when the Hebrew God, when when our God, 
uh, came on the screen scene and said, Behold, you shall have no other gods before me. Um, I am a jealous God. I want you, and I won't share you with anybody else. That was a game changer. All these other household gods, the fertility gods, they would, as it were, say, you know, we don't mind being shared, kind of borrow each other, sleep around. I mean, it really would be kind of that. It's a, it's a fair metaphor. Um, uh, we don't mind having a polyamorous relationship. That's what we would call it now. Um, the other gods are happy. Just give me a piece of the pie. Give me some of what's due me. But if you want to share me with Asheroth and Baal or, you know, a new god, um, uh, that's fine. Um, and Yahweh said, no. You are my people, and I am your God, and I am alone. That's the background here, um, which comes into uh, the, 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 the confrontation of, of Elijah with the prophets of, um, of Baal. So this would be, I brought this here, because we're facing here, if you go all the way around, imagine this is a panorama, here's Mount Carmel. Um, so it's just behind us on the other side of Nazareth. Um, if you want a map, if this matters. Um, like this is, that's probably Mount Tabor, so we're here, and Mount Carmel is back here. And so that's where we kind of are, if that helps you to kind of have in mind. Um, so then Elijah said to the people, I, even I only, am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Let two bulls be given to us, and let them choose one bull for themselves, and cut it in pieces, and lay it on the wood, and put no fire on it, and I will prepare for the other. Uh, I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood and put no fire to it. And then you call upon the name of your God, and I will call upon the name of the Lord, the God who answers by fire. He is God. And the people answered, it is well spoken. In other words, I agree. Um, let's do this. The, 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 the terms of the joust are now set. And Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose for yourselves one bull and prepare it first, for they are many. And then call upon the name of your God and put no fire to it. Very subtly, Elijah is completely taken over. They're like, okay, let's do that. Okay, okay, okay. Um, uh, and they took the bull that was given them and they prepared it and called upon the name of Baal and from the morning until noon saying, Oh, Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. Silence. Um, and they limped around the altar they had made. And at noon, so now it's been going on all morning long, uh, Elijah mocked them saying, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is musing, or he's relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or he's asleep and he needs to be awakened. Just mocking and derision. Uh, and they cried aloud, and they cut themselves after the custom of swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. So they're, they're going around, starting to get panicked. What's going to draw my sleeping God out and make him wake up and notice me? Maybe if we cut ourselves and say, we're really serious here. Um, uh, and as midday passed, and they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation, and then the em emphasis here, but there was no voice, no one answered, no one paid attention. Silence. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. The people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that had been thrown down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, as great as would contain two seahs of seed. And he put the wood on in order to cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood. And he says, Fill four jars full of water and put it on the burnt offering of the wood. Do it a second time. They did it a second time. Do it a third time. He's just drenching and saturating the wood, which now also has a bull on top of it, 
with a trench dug around it just to make sure that there is no ambiguity about what's to happen. And they did it a third time. And the water ran around the altar and filled the trench also with water. And at the time of the offering for the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day, reveal yourself, um, that you are God in Israel, and I am your servant. I hear that, and I can't help but think of um, Robert Duvall's great movie, The Apostle. Um, standing up there in his room, just yelling at God. You know, I've always called you father, and you've always called me sonny. I am your servant. I am your servant. You know, he's getting it straight out of here. It is a masterpiece. It is worth it. Um, I am your servant. The relationship is set. You are God. I am not. This isn't going to be me. This is all going to be you. Uh, Answer me, Lord. Uh, Answer me, O Lord. Answer me, that the people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Also a tremendously important phrase there. You are the one who turns hearts. You are the one who brings your people back to yourself. You can not only bring fire down and consume even the stones, you can take these stony hearts and turn them to a heart of flesh so there's a people that now crave and cry out to you. Uh, And then the fire of the Lord fell right-handed power not to fix anything just to demonstrate that he alone is god and consume the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust i mean fire doesn't usually do that by the way doesn't consume dust and and uh, and and stones i mean just took everything and consumed it all uh and licked up the water that was in the trench and when all the people saw it they fell on their faces and said the lord he is god the lord he is god And Elijah said to them, Seize the prophets of Baal, let not one of them escape. And they seized him, and Elijah brought them down from the brook Kishon and slaughtered them there. So again, the off-tonic part, just like 135,000, now 450. Blood, 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 blood. Um, So let me just summarize here. And then there's Jericho. Um, A whole different part. Um, We're way up here. You come down Jericho, right outside of you, going up from Jerusalem, um, go up to Jerusalem from Jericho, oldest city in the world, uh, lowest city in the world as well. Um, blind Bartimaeus, Mark's story, um, left hand power of God. Who sees God? One of the first people who recognize him, besides the demons. A blind man. Imagine that. Blind Bartimaeus recognizes the Messiah, the son of David. Not fully, didn't see the suffering servant, um, uh, that Messiah, thought this would be the son of David, David the greatest king, David the one who restored the fortunes of Israel, David the deliverer of Israel, who will set all things right so that now Israel would again be in its preeminent place. That son of David. But nonetheless, blind Bartimaeus is the one who recognized um, the Lord uh, as the Lord. Um, and they came to Jericho, and he was leaving, uh, and then there was the beggar, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sitting by the roadside. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be quiet. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped. Oh, man, I love the Gospels when they do this sort of stuff. And then Jesus stopped. He heard the man's cry, and he turned to him. He said, call him. They called the blind man and said, Take heart. Get up. 
take heart, turn around, arise, O sleeper, and wake, is kind of what that means. He's calling you and throwing off. Jesus said to him, what do you want me to do to him? Giving you something to think about on the way out. What do you want me to do for you? Listening to the questions of Jesus. They're, they're so full. What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabbi, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, go your way. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight. And what did he do? He followed. This is one who followed the Lord. He didn't go his own way. It wasn't the, 99, the, 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 ten, the nine lepers and only one came back. Um, the ten lepers and only one came back. Um, he followed his Lord and his God. Um, he saw the son of David had to be crucified, and on the third day rose again from the dead. Um, pause. We'll continue next week. Right hand, left hand power. Um, uh, how God does the work he most wants to do when he's doing the thing that he wants to do. Left hand. Um, let me pray. Lord, take these words and, uh, and turn them by your left hand um, to us in a way that we would see and behold you as our Lord and our God. Um, the scandal that you are, in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.